Well, good morning, everybody. Um, this nice welcome to October day, I think. Um, I just wanted to qualify too. My photo in the artist or the speaker's biography shows me holding what looks to be a dead dog. And uh, actually, she was still alive then. She was just very, very old. And uh, so I always thought that uh, I liked the picture, but you know, the implication that my dog was dead is not a good one. So uh, today I'm going to talk about the Beartooth Highway, um, something that just closed yesterday for the season. Perhaps it may be open again on, on Monday. It's hard to tell this time of year. Um, I developed an interest in it, of course, because of my my uh, job at the Montana Department of Transportation because, you know, that's what we're all about, right? And we do, the department does take care of the Montana side of the highway. So um, so it's it's been kind of a, a bone of contention with, with my employer for a while about uh, whether we should be doing that or not. But uh, what seems to get kind of lost in in all the discussion is is the great history of that particular road and the department's involvement in it. And just to start off this morning, I just want to read a quick quote from uh, Montana Congressman Roy Ayers in September 1934. This was a couple years before the highway was completed. It's, he said, quote, it seems to me the location is perfectly chosen to reveal the greatest scenic treats imaginable and that the engineering accomplishment represented in the stretch of highway reflects the highest possible credit upon the engineering genius of the United States. And uh, so I definitely have to, uh, have to agree with that statement. Um, it's, uh, I also want to give some credit to my friend Elaine Hale, who is in the audience, who worked on the National Register nomination for, for the highway, and I'm sure she'll let me know if I make a mistake. <laughs> Maybe not. <laughs> All right. So with that, we'll proceed on. Um, sure, I got this right here. There we go. Um, Native Americans probably utilized the trail uh, trails over the Beartooth Plateau since time immemorial. I mean, we're finding rep, uh, uh, relics of their presence on top of the plateau as the glaciers and the snowfields recede. So we know they were using routes across the uh, the plateau, you know, long, long ago. Um, likely, it sounds from the historic record also that trappers, lone trappers, uh, probably crossed the, the plateau as well, utilizing the old indigenous trails that had already been set uh, as a guide across the across the plateau for them. But it's not really until 1881 that we get any kind of written. Um, description of, of that particular route and that was when General Phil Sheridan led an expedition across the plateau uh, that year um, approximating the route of the road on the Wyoming side of the border. Um, he was um, destined or he was trying to get to, to Cook City uh, which was at that time probably if not Montana's most remote mining camp it was likely the the West's most mining, remote mining camp at that time. So with that, um, it's not until the advent of the automobile, however, that we really start to see any kind of real push to build a road across the top of the plateau between Red Lodge, uh, Billings, and or Billings, Bear Creek, um, we'll talk about that here in a minute, 
and Cook City. Um, the only way the miners could get the ore out of the New World Mining District was through the road across the northern part of, of Yellowstone National Park and then take it out at Gardner and, and load it up on trains and, and send it off to be processed. So um, that was not a particularly good route. It was closed part of the year. And as it would turn out, the National Park Service wasn't particularly excited about that route either, as you, as you can imagine. Um, so beginning in the 1910s, this gentleman, a fellow by the name of Dr. J.C.F. Siegfried, who was the mayor of Red Lodge, I guess the, the pre, maybe one of the models for Willard Frazier in a lot of ways. Uh, he was a, definitely a type A personality. He was a physician, uh, worked for the, uh, the coal mines in Bear Creek and then relocated over to Red Lodge and was a physician here for, for a very long time before he died in 1940, I believe. Um, this guy was probably Montana's greatest support or pro promoter at the time. Um, you, he, you name it, he would use it to make Montana, especially Carbon County. Really, at one point, he, he stated that it was the Garden of Eden of North America. So any of you have seen the front, the, the, the mountains in the spring, late May and, and into June, you could kind of understand that. But he based his reasoning on the fact that they had discovered a tooth in one of the coal mines in the Bear Creek District he swore was the tooth of Adam himself. <laughs> and uh, turns out it was the tooth of a herbivore, herbivore, and um, never, you know, had anything, any, any connection to, to, to humanity at all. But, um, but it went all the way up to the American Museum of Natural History. And I think the tooth is probably still in their collection somewhere. I think Dr. Siegfried would be well worth an article on his own, you know, based on his life, and or at least some kind of recognition for what he did. But in the 1910s, he really started to gather support for the construction of a road across the Beartooth Plateau. And uh, he did meet with some success very early on. Um, he was able to... Uh, to talk the Montana Department or the Montana State Highway Commission into designating a route as a federal aid highway, which meant that if you were going to do any kind of construction at all, you had access to federal funds to do that. So they were able to uh, to get the project going. Um, was uh, this is whoops, I went a little too far there. Let's see if I can go back. There. Oh, did I go back? No, no, no I, was, I was right all along, that's first. But um, this was the first highway project that was designed and the construction overseen by the Highway Commission in Montana in 1919. Um, this fellow sitting here in the tent is a man by the name of Red Thatcher. He was the project engineer. And uh, the project did go to contract. It was the first one that the Highway Department actually, or the Highway Commission actually, uh, let on its own and construction began in the summer of 1919. Um, it sounds though from what I understand from what I've seen from other sources that it was more of a fishing expedition for some <laughs> than it was for any actual work. So but construction did begin in 1919 but it ended by 1924. Um, they only got as far as the top of the Line Creek Plateau 
and um, money ran out. Uh, the uh, Federal Aid Highway Act of 1921 changed the priorities for construction for the Highway Commission that since there really wasn't any connectivity between this proposed route across the, uh, across the, uh, the plateau that um, it didn't really have any real future in the mind of, of the federal government or with the State Highway Commission. But before then, they were managed to build up the side of, of uh, Mount Maurice, the big mountain just to the south of here, and with 13 switchbacks, and which is a little a little much even when you consider um, the Beartooth Highway today. Before construction was was ended, um, you can still walk the trail. I understand, and and if you look right when the sun is just right, you can still see it climbing up the side of, of Mount Maurice. But I'm not sure um, how much use it actually gets anymore. But even though there was a change in priorities for the highway department. Um, or for the Highway Commission, excuse me, that um, that didn't mean the efforts to build a road over the plateau ended. It was just taken up by, the mantle was just taken up by another individual. And that man is doc, uh, uh, the publisher of the Carbon County News, a man named O.H.P. Shelley. And again, another type A personality, but this one, unlike Siegfried, had a lot of political connections, not only in Montana, but also in Washington, D.C., and he began actively um, lobbying for the construction of the road through Montana's congressional delegation. So he had the support of Senators Thomas J. Walsh and of Burton K. Wheeler and also of our, one of our congressmen, a man by the name of Scott Levitt. And so they were able, through um, the efforts of, of our congressional representatives and through Shelley and, and others to get legislation introduced into Congress for an act called the Nash or the, the Approach Roads Act that um, set aside money specifically for the construction of roads leading to national parks and um, it looks like from what I can understand as well maybe Elaine will, will gainsay me here but that even though there was three national parks that were uh, that were targeted for the use of this money that really it seems like the Beartooth Highway was really the real goal of the, of the whole legislation. Um, none of the work was ever done on the other two, other two highways. So but what, what the National Approach Roads Act said essentially was, um, oh, let me get to my next, my next page here, that uh, you could build a road, you got a limited amount of money, I think it was like $5 million, may have been a little bit more than that, and, um, and, but it could only be so many miles in length, 60 miles at most. Well, the problem was that there would be a gap on the Montana side of the border. But what's going on here in Montana at the same time is also important as well because we're going through an economic depression through in the state and most importantly the coal mines and Red Lodge have shut down. So there's a lot of, of idle workers essentially in Red Lodge which you know literally was at the end of the road at that time. So I think uh, Shelley's um, efforts were really well founded that there was a lot of potential to Red Lodge that was going to be lost if the coal mines never reopened, which, as we all know, they never, they never did. So, um, National Approach Roads Act was, was signed into law by Herbert Hoover 
um, 60 mile limit on it. Montana to make this a viable project had to remove some mileage from its highway system so it could be added on to the Beartooth Highway system. And so the section of highway from Red Lodge to Belfry was taken off the system and added to uh, highway two, what would be Highway 212 in the future. And so that made it all work. And uh, things kind of proceeded quickly after that. Um, further, Scott Levitt is the man second from the right in the photograph that's at the dedication of the memorial on top of Marias uh, Pass. And here's Herbert Hoover with Horace Albright. Do I have that right, Lee? All right, good. Horace Albright, who was the superintendent of Yellowstone National Park at the time that the uh, that the uh, highway was built. Now, the Yellowstone National Park Administration was also in favor of this road, mainly because it took it would take the mining traffic out of the park, which was disrupting tourist traffic, and it was beating the heck out of the roads there in, in, in the national park as well. So there would be a, a different outlet through Red Lodge to get that ore out, at least part of the year. Surveying actually for the road had already taken place in 1927. Um, the head surveyor for this particular project was um, was a man named uh, Henry Harry Mitchell. That's him uh, standing there on the right, I believe. And so they'd staked out the route by 1927. There never were really any highway plans for the construction of, of the Beartooth Highway. They just staked out where the where the center line would go. And uh, then they would follow pretty much the standard federal um, sta or the uh, federal standards for for uh, roads at that time, taking that road up up the side of the hill. So um, I looked. I mean, that's been one of the things I've looked for for years is whether there are any plans for the Beartooth Highway, and there really isn't. And so that kind of makes this project even more exciting, a little bit more what I'd like to call seat of your pants engineering. They were making the decisions out in the field as they were occurring. And uh, that's really kind of a big deal, um, you know, doing it on their own, essentially. Uh, here's Harry Mitchell is on the left with Shelley on the right. Um, they were apparently um, not exactly good friends, but they got along all right. Shelley was kind of pushy. And Mitchell was as well, but not in the same way. And uh, yeah, mostly I think he was an irritant, probably. But you know, we owe an awful lot to Shelley in the, in the long run. Okay, am I doing all right for time, Laura? You're doing great. All right, good. Because now we're getting to the exciting part. Twelve minutes. All right. Okay. So this particular road would climb the plateau up 11,000 feet, past 32 lakes in the process, and uh, open it up to tourist traffic, which would help and uh, which would benefit Red Lodge most definitely. The project was divided into four segments, A, B, C, and D. Um, the first, section A, is probably the most important, the section that we all know the most about because it's on this side of the Montana border. Um, it would climb up the side of the plateau for 12 miles from the National Forest boundary south of Red Lodge to the top of the plateau, uh, which was at that time the Montana, or still is the Montana state line. 
It was about 25 miles in length. And, um, but all, well, excuse me, I'm sorry. Looking at part, section B was the part in Wyoming from Cook City, the Yellowstone National Park boundary up to the Montana border as well. That was a 25 mile segment. Section C um, would build from uh, the highway, would, would go south from Red Lodge to connect with the, uh, with the Beartooth Highway. <coughs> and um, and there, that, that way it was all, it would all be connected to something, which was the important part of this project as well. So segments A and B were let to contract by the federal government on June 26, 1931. The uh, Morrison Knudsen Company that was based in Idaho got the contract to build Section A, which is the switchbacks up the side of the mountain on this side of the, uh, of the border. Um, they were operating really from, a, from an advantage because they could ship their equipment on the railroad south to Red Lodge, and then it just had to be transported a few miles south of town to, uh, to the construction site. So um, this is when they were unloading the equipment in, in Red Lodge itself. It drew quite a crowd, as you can imagine. Um, this is the first shovel full of dirt that was taken or was overturned on that particular segment. Um, Morrison Knudsen had just come off another similar project in a different state. And so they uh, really had a well-oiled machine as far as constructing the, the switchbacks up the side of the plateau in Montana. Um, there was this definite process to it, um, clearing and grubbing, you know, getting all the brush and everything out of the way along the, the proposed center line. Um, and then they would have steam shovels start heading up. One of them would be breaking ground. The one behind it would be widening the road. And then you had a bunch of, uh, a bunch of pick and shovel men, essentially, that were dressing the highway up the side of the hill behind the steam shovels. Um, it was tough work, um, and I should tell you right off that this was not a Great Depression era project by any stretch of the imagination. The money was allocated in 1930, so this predates the emergency funds that Herbert Hoover had allocated for highway projects and FDR's New Deal. So one other good thing about this project for the contractors, as it turned out, is they didn't have to follow federal employment um, regulations as far as hiring labor to build the road. So that's, that's good, but it's still putting a lot of men to work. And there are a lot of men that are still in this area that, uh, that had worked, well, there are not so many anymore that had uh, that worked on this project. Morrison Knudsen had a well-constructed construction, uh, well-built construction camp um, that's down, I think, along the Rock Creek, about where the MK um, campground is today. They had wood frame buildings set up for the workers. There was a mess hall, recreation hall. Um, some of the workers brought their families with them, spent the entire year there. And so um, food was good, pay was good, and the work was hard, as you can imagine, as it worked its way up, up the pass. Here's another view of it, just to kind of give you a sense of, of what it looked like. One thing about highway projects is they always look bad before they're finished, as you probably <laughs> noticed. That's usually the time when people start complaining about them. But, uh, but uh, no one was complaining about this one. Everybody was, was sitting on pins and needles waiting for it to be completed. All right, here's another view of it at one of the curves. I believe this is May West Curve. I may be off on that one. but. Uh, 
So you can kind of see the process of, of how they built the road. Now the neat thing with the steams or with the, the with the dump trucks, and which it could be a bad thing if you're a driver, is that you headed into where the uh, where the steam shovel was, and of course it filled in the bed of the dump truck um, over the top of the cab, and then you took a, the, the the fill material wherever, and then had to back up to dump it off to the side. So there has been a, more than a few cases where somebody went a little bit too far. Mm -hmm and started going down the side of the hill. And I can imagine the ride those, those guys were feeling when they, when they did that. Now, one thing, they, they did get up to the top of the plateau by the end of the year. And so again, you can kind of see how the process was, was working. That um, was very efficient, very methodical. And uh, the, the resident, Harry Mitchell, was extremely pleased with the way that that Morris and Knutson was, was building this project. Well, there's another view of, of different view of it. And then uh, see how they usually loaded up the, uh, the dump trucks and then taking a break at the top of the hill of the plateau. I mean, this was hard work. I mean, this is mostly pick and shovel work. And uh, as you can see, there's a lot of rocks and you're up pretty high. And it's not always the best of weather up there, as, as we well know. And uh, sometimes they got caught in the snow and had to clear snow before they could, uh, before, well, you know, before the annual shutdown occurred. So that was usually a good sign of when to, when to quit. Um, they also held uh, weekly um, meetings, public, public meetings in Red Lodge to tell them about the progress of the route as it went up. Uh, these are a lot different from the MDT public hearings that we have today because we don't have, you know, bluegrass bands coming to it. <laughs> I mean, maybe that would be a good idea with some projects, but this is uh, part of one of those public hearings and that's Dr. Or, uh, Shelley, or not Dr., but that's Shelley standing there on the truck bed with them. Now, if the Morrison Knutson operation was a well-oiled machine, the contractor on the Wyoming side of the border was anything but that. It was an Oregon company called McNutt and Pyle that had very little experience in building roads. And, uh, but yet they, they underbid the contract, the uh, engineer's estimate for the contract by $40,000. But there was some hesitancy on the part of the Bureau of Public Roads to accept that contract, but eventually they did. And it turns out it was a mistake. Um, McNutt and Pyle screwed up the whole way. And it's mostly based on the hubris of Mr. McNutt and Mr. Pyle. They both had no problem. They thought, well, yeah, we can build this and we'll get it done ahead of schedule. They had no idea what really they were getting into when they made that boast. Um, as you saw in that one photograph, the Morrison Knutson camp was made up of wood frame cabins, essentially. Uh, it was well set up for the workers. I've got five more minutes, five more minutes real quick. Um, but the families and the workers on the Wyoming side lived in tents. And they lived in tents until it got too cold to do that. This is how they built the road. Not, not very organized at all. Okay, here's another view of one of their tractors. Um, you know, McNutt um, pretty much boasted that we could get to the top of the plateau by December of, of 1932, uh, I believe but uh, he was really missed his deadline pretty badly. 
Um, another view of his operation um, to get their equipment to the job site they had to unload it in Gardner and then drive it all the way to, uh, to where the construction began in uh, at Cook City and beyond and uh, it played heck with the equipment you know it was breaking down all the time he didn't have a real experienced work crew uh, the story goes they were driving those trucks like hell until they either hit a tree or they burned the uh, engines out to get there. And that seemed to be the case for the, for the project the whole way up. Now the bridges, they were all built by different contractors, not McNutt and Pyle. And they were all followed what Forest Service or Park Service um, design standards uh, required at that time. Um, but, you know, 1936 rolls around. And by the way, there was traffic from Red Lodge going over this project, going through the construction zone as early as 1932. So um, they couldn't hardly wait for it to be done. So 1936, um, here we go. It was paved very early on. Um, it's like a road oil mix that uh, I'll talk about here very quickly. Um, there was two fatalities on the project. One of them was uh, uh, from a McNutton pile where a, a dynamite went off prematurely and blew a man or blew him up essentially. The other one was a Red Lodge residence fell into resident fell into a road, road oil machine, and, uh, and road oil is essentially gravel and a low grade oil that's mixed together for for something that that's like blacktop. So this is uh, through, through Cook City. Um, but when the road was completed, it was you know a real wonder at the time. Um, another contractor had to come in and fix what McNutt and Pyle had done on the Wyoming side. Um, as you can see, uh, originally they didn't have guardrails, but uh, Harry Mitchell noticed that all the tourists coming over were driving on the wrong side of the road so they wouldn't be close to the end. Um, I still tend to do that myself when I, when I do that, especially going down. And, uh, but it was a beautiful highway and, uh, and very, you know, opened up the great accolades at the time in 1936. Uh, there was some discussion about what to call it. Um, highway to Heaven was one of the, one of the ideas, um, Highway to the Clouds. But it was originally, it, but it was set on Red Lodge Cook City Highway, and that's the way it's in, the, at least the highway department records way up until the 1950s. So lots of postcards of the route. Uh, most of the curves have names that were given to them by the uh, Morrison Knudsen um, workers that still are still there. Still scary. That's <laughs> still a white knuckle ride. Uh, no matter what you do, you can't look at the scenery and drive at the same time, unfortunately. And my wife is afraid of heights, so all I hear is, you're too close to the edge, dear. <laughs> so, but, uh, no, it is, it is a spectacular road. It is an engineering marvel. And it is well deserved to be in, in the National Register. Um, tourist bus were on there in the 1930s. Um, you could tell the, the Yellowstone Park buses were a different style than the, than the Yellowstone buses, or the Red Lodge buses were. Um, just uh, all kinds of good stuff in there. Um, lots of good promotional photos. Um, sometimes the tourists couldn't wait to get up there in the buses. And as you can see, it's a little bit of a challenge for the bus driver, which I don't think they would do today or even consider doing that. This is from the Red Lodge side, I believe. And uh, just, just a lot of great stuff about it. Um, the top of the world thing. <laughs> 
Yeah, there's nothing like selling alcohol at the top of the highway <laughs> when you're about to drive down it. I mean, that always just, just killed me. Yeah, I mean, I think the worst thing you could do is, is do that. But, uh, but the Chamber of Commerce did it every year until the 80s. Uh, here's another view of them. Um, but it really revitalized both Cook City and Red Lodge. Red Lodge became what it is now because of the Cook City Highway. I mean, coal mining was dead, and uh, so it really needed to look for another avenue of, of prosperity, and, and tourism turned out to be it. And so Great Fall, or Red Lodge was transformed, and so was Cook City into, uh, into what we see today. Um, see them alive zoo you know you probably all passed that to get down here some place I remember well as a kid um, which um, a lot of hotels um, got to say the one on the top was nearly washed out in June but uh, but part of it's still there um, postcards um, Northern Pacific Railway did an awful lot of promotional work on the on the Beartooth Highway because it was the closest railroad I'm, I'm all done Apparently, so that's it. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs>